Welcome to Better Family Travel with Amy and Kathleen, the podcast where we'll help you plan fun, enriching, and affordable experiences for you and your family that meet your goals. We'll ask ourselves hard questions, reveal our mistakes, and share a new perspective on what better family travel can look like for you. Whether you're a seasoned traveler or your journeys are just starting, you're a better family traveler just by tuning in. Hello, Better Family Travelers. This is Kathleen Monroe here with Amy DeCesare. We are happy to be back after a very short hiatus from our podcast while we were brainstorming, collecting ideas, chatting with our listeners about what's gone well and what you want to hear more of. And we have some really exciting, interesting, and some unique things to talk about in the upcoming episodes. Well, good afternoon or good evening, actually, Kathleen. I'm really excited to be joined by our guest tonight, Jennifer Thibodeau. So I first came across Jennifer in this world of COVID, and I had a, a virtual seminar, basically, for women in the law, and they, it was it was really well done. And Jennifer was one of the speakers and spoke on authenticity and finding her voice, and it was a really, just really awesome presentation that stayed with me long after. After the seminar was over. And so I reached out to her and asked her if maybe she would consider being a guest on our, our show based on what she was talking about. And then the conversation, it turned out that not only does she love travel, but she's had some really amazing experiences recently, especially with glamping. So <laughs> this episode has a lot to ground <laughs> to cover. But with that, Jennifer, welcome to Better Family Travel. Thank you, Amy and Kathleen, for having me. And Amy, thank you for your kind words about my presentation and for reaching out to invite me to be a guest tonight. I've really been looking forward to this. Awesome. I, I have too. Why don't you tell our Better Family Travelers a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your background? Sure. Again, my name is Jennifer Thibodeau, and I am a mom, a wife, a lawyer, and I am a professional speaker. My business is called JMT Speaks. And some of the topics that I really love to talk about are authenticity, communication, and for women in particular, overcoming the imposter syndrome. I also really, really love to travel. And my love of travel is shared by my husband. And we are working hard to instill that in our four and a half year old son. So we've had some very interesting adventures in his short lifetime. So thanks again for having me. You're welcome. Travel on some of our early episodes, we've definitely talked about the art of traveling with young children and, you know, in a hotel room and get them getting up early. What are some of your experiences that you've learned about traveling with your son? Well, I, I know the listeners can't see me, but I was just nodding my head up and down as you were formulating your question because, yeah, it's very interesting traveling with a little person. And I will say we saw such a big difference from six months to 18 months to two years and now four. So just by way of example, my son has been to New Orleans three times. That's where my husband is from and my in-laws are still there. So he was first on a plane when he was six months old. He's also been to Florida twice. He's been to California and he's been on a ton of road trips. We go down the shore, the Jersey shore. I live in New Jersey. My parents have a shore house. We do um, adventures to New York City, to Philadelphia for museums. He's been to Hershey park. He's been to the Hamptons. He's been glamping in upstate New York. So we've done a lot. And I think what sticks out at me the most is how every six months, we really saw a change in how he traveled. Because when he was basically the carry-on on the airplane at six months, that was actually easy. And then 18 months on an airplane was a nightmare because he doesn't want to sit down. And then, you know, a year later or even six months later, rather when we flew, we started introducing the iPad and games and that actually calmed him down. So it's better now that he's mm -hmm. older and can entertain himself. And we've certainly lacked screen time with COVID and that helps, but he will also say like, I'm tired of watching and he'll look at a book or he'll play a game. So much different and varied experience experiences over these past four and a half years. For some of our newer listeners who might not be as familiar with the family structures that Amy and I have, well, we each have three children that span from the age of five all the way to the age of 13. So 
it's interesting listening to you describe all those different stages because at various points in time, Amy and I have traveled with our children, all of those stages happening simultaneously <laughs> to, yes. to the to the degree that, in fact, Amy told the story early on in a, one of our earliest episodes about, I think you told the story, Amy, about allowing your youngest to have some screen time at a mm-hmm. restaurant while you were traveling, but not the older two because they were developmentally capable of doing something a little bit different than the younger ones were. And I, you know, I have to commend you, Amy, because I think that's really brave. It's really hard not to sort of apply that one size fits all rule because sometimes that's just easiest, but fair isn't always equal. And sometimes making those decisions is hard. They, they didn't like it at first, but you know, but do you know, so that restaurant that we went to, this was Jennifer, this was a restaurant. It was actually a business trip that I turned into a family vacation. Um, and we were out in Colorado Springs and the conference I was invited to speak at was at the Broadmoor, which is a five-star resort in Colorado. I mean, it is a gorgeous place. Something I wasn't going to take our family of five to on our own ever, um, or anywhere in the near future. And it was also, so we went to, you know, a pretty expensive restaurant, you know, because it's a, it's a resort. There's no inexpensive restaurants. And it was called, oh gosh, it was a train theme. So my oldest is a huge train fan and it, it had to do with the cog railroads going up Pike's Peak. And so it had the railroad out there. So, I mean, it, but I mean, it was one of those meals where you probably for the family of five, you're going to get close to $300. Like it's not an inexpensive meal. And but but with all of that said and him not being on the tablet for it and making him sit and appreciate it for the better or worse, he's like, I'd really like to go back there. I really enjoyed that meal. So he does talk about it. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> you said he, he remembered the experience because you kind of made him be in the moment. Yep. You know, I mean, but that was a business trip that you turned into a vacation. Jen, you just said you went to about... 40 different places in your son's <laughs> short four years. And I know I did, I have looked into your amazing business. It's incredibly inspiring. Everybody after this podcast, the next thing you should do is go to jmtspeaks.com and like read through all these incredible ideas and things that Jen has done. You were full-time lawyer. I think I you've had am. a career change. You are still, you had some kind of career change that brought some joy to your life. I'd like to know a little bit more about that and how that affected your ability to travel with your family. So first of all, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you like the content that I'm putting out in the world. I really do appreciate it. Let me start by saying when I was an attorney in private practice and I was at an AMLAW 200 firm for 11 years, first as an associate and then as a partner. Travel was always like a reprieve from the grind. It was like, all right, my husband's an attorney as well. And I didn't have my son at the time. So it was all about where can we go? Like, let's splurge on a trip to Europe, right? And I knew that I just had, you know, another six months, then two months and six weeks until I could just put everything aside and travel. So it was really just something that I, it was like my reason for working in a way. It was like getting me through all the deadlines and the billing hours to have this trip or this long weekend ahead of me. When I, um, when I became a mom, you know, I never really thought that I would travel as much as I have with my son. And I left private practice when my son was only seven months old. And as Amy knows, she heard me speak about this, it really coincided with the time that I realized I'd become unhappy in my career. I was at the point as a junior partner at the law firm where you're supposed to be thinking about making equity partner. And I realized, well, I don't really don't want that. I think I've just been focused on this goal of achieving partnership for so long that I've had my eye on the prize and haven't stopped to think about whether it's really a fit for me and if it's what I want to do for the rest of my life and became unhappy and then just time passed and all of a sudden I had the opportunity to leave and do something totally different as a lawyer. I'm now an attorney editor for a global legal publisher. And in making that decision to change gears in my career, I really had to reach back and think about what I like to do, who I was, what the best use of my strengths were. And it was reading, it was writing, it was speaking. And I realized I didn't have to be a partner at a law firm to do that. And my job now in legal publishing has me writing all the time. And I didn't have the word at the time, but what I really did was find my authentic self when I changed gears in my career. And it gave me the confidence then because I'd never been happier personally or professionally to launch my own business. And the business is a year and a half old. And 
now I think travel for me is not just like a break from the day to day, but it's become the joy, as I said earlier, of having these experiences and these adventures with my son, trying to instill our love of travel in him. And because we only have one child, it is a lot easier for us to kind of to get up and go. It's, it's a lot less expensive as well, right? I know you ladies have addressed that on other episodes. <laughs> so travel is really more fulfilling for me because I'm doing it not just for me and the experience, but to see it through his eyes. So it really, it really has had me come full circle in my life with travel. Isn't that fun though? The seeing it through your kid's eyes thing. I mean, Amy and I just got back from the beach. Actually, our families traveled together. It's becoming more frequent all the time, Amy. (laughs) But I told her the other day, I was like, Amy, my face hurts from smiling. And I wasn't doing anything. I was standing in the sand on the beach, watching my children do what I did when I was a child. And that was all I needed was to be able to create the space for them to enjoy themselves. And it, you know, it wasn't, it was just water and sand, you know, the beach is pretty magical in terms of bringing joy to people. But, you know, I hear what you're saying. What are some of the experiences that you've enjoyed bringing to your son? I have to say that glamping, as Amy mentioned, was actually something so outside of my comfort zone. But the fact that we did it and to see him get so excited to sleep in, I can't call it a tent. I guess it was like a yurt, I'd say, because it had like a hard hardwood floor, but you zipped it open and there was no electricity in it. And just to see the, the awe in his eyes, just the simplicity of doing something like that, that was really, really fun to see see him experience that. Another standout moment for me, and one that he still talks about was our trip to California that we snuck in. If you could believe it was like mid-February last year, right before everything happened and the world shut down with COVID. Yeah, it was, I remember being at In-N-Out Burger on Valentine's Day and thinking it was the best Valentine's ever. So it was definitely mid-month, but we were out in San Diego and we went out to Coronado and it was San Diego weather, 72 degrees, but my son loves the beach. He took off all his clothes and just had on, again, he's just over three years old, his underwear and just ran into the ocean. People everywhere were like, you know, look at that kid. He's having so much fun. And I stood there and I, my heart was so full. And then I thought, you know, mom mode as well. I don't have a towel. I need to go like run up to a vendor on the beach and buy him a towel. And he asked me, when are we going back to California? So the fact that he remembers that shows why as well. It's a standout moment for me. That's awesome. It's funny. Well, so my parents have like a picture of me in the same way, like at the beach, at the Cape Kathleen, where you and I were like a few weeks or sorry, a few days ago, but the same thing, like I'm my, my daughter is just like me, like cannot get enough of the water. And you know, there I am like three, four years old, stripped down to my underwear and just could not wait to experience the beach. So I'm sure he will forever remember, or at least like the snapshot in your mind, yes. just the being impulsive um, and just enjoying it. There's there's a lot in what you just said. And um, to use a phrase that Kathleen kids me about, but I do want to unpack it, right? <laughs> and there's no other, but there's a lot I want to go through on what you said, both on your business and the shift from your career because I think that has a lot to do with the mindset generally, but also on the travel side, learning more about the glamping. But l- let's just go back to where you started. And, you know, I can hear in between, as a, especially having gone through the lawyer um, or being a lawyer, a former litigator, and now moving in-house, that change. But it's it's certainly not an easy change that you just went through because, you know, most of us, not only is it, you know, high school in good grades and college in good grades and developing it, you know, you have to study for the LSATs, you get into law school. Law school is, you know, especially that first year is, you know, people make movies about it and the movies are not far off, right? Um, The only thing they don't do now is hide the books. Like in the movies, a lot of times people used to hide the books. That was a thing in law school because you had to get the research. And when you only had the books to go to, if there was only one book, very competitive people would hide the books because Kathleen, law school is all about rankings. It's not just how you've done, but it's how you've done in comparison to your peers. So it's there. That is just the nature of law school. And so I think that's a little bit less so, um, or at least that was my experience as more um, 
research was available online where people could really, there's nothing you could really hide as much, but Mm -hmm. the competitive nature is absolutely there. So Jennifer, when you said, you know, you were a junior partner, and I think the other thing I just would like to, you know, let our audience know is, you know, a partner a partner is not a partner. Like, so that's, that's one of the things people learn. Like, I don't even think most associates who start off realize that there's different degrees of partner. There's junior partners. And I I don't know if your firm did this, but I know the firm I work for, you know, basically we're inviting you to be a partner, but it's a name only, like you're a partner, but you have no ownership stake. And so that next step, that equity, right, Jennifer, why don't you maybe kind of give our listeners a little bit about your mindset, about what you had gone through and decisions you were making at that point in your life. Sure. So you are correct. I mean, I was a non-equity partner at the firm. And as you said, it's like this long process to get there. And for me, it was a dream I had for 20 years. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's true because I decided I wanted to be a lawyer when I was in high school. And at the time, you know, in the early to mid nineties, John Grisham books were all the rage. So I'm dating myself here, but I knew becoming a partner, right. was a really big deal, like Mitch in the firm. And I, decided that I wanted to go to law school and be a lawyer, not just because I was reading those books, but because I was on the mock trial team. And like many, and I'll just take a step back, that's basically an after-school club where students are either cast as witnesses or lawyers, and they put on this fake case and compete against other high schools down at the county courthouse after hours. And like many teenage girls, you know, I was shy and, and gawky and not very sure of myself, but something came alive in me when And I tried out and I was cast as the role as a lawyer and just standing in front of that fake jury box, you know, of my peers, high school students, really, and putting on this case, something came alive. I felt like a new person, like I had found my voice and I said, this is it. So I set off on that path, Amy, that you mentioned, you know, college, law school. I clerked for a judge for one year because I knew I wanted to be a litigator and that would allow me to understand some of the ins and outs behind the scenes in the courtroom. And I just had my eye on the prize. Like I said, I just worked and worked and worked and worked because I wanted to make partner. And then when I realized how unhappy I was, it really required me to take a long, hard, ugly look in the mirror to think about, well, you've done this for so long, you know, now what are you going to do? Like, this is all you've trained for. This is all you know how to do. You can't possibly do anything else. And Amy, as you were, you know, um, formulating your question, I was thinking, you know, it really came down to just because you can do something and you do it well, doesn't mean you have to do it. And it took me taking that ugly look in the mirror to realize that and letting go and accepting, I don't have to do this just because I can do it. I've trained with some of the best lawyers. I'm so fortunate for all the experiences I've had, but it's okay for me to say, I don't want this, that my love of reading and writing and the law can be put to use in a different way. And law school really doesn't show you that there's other things you can do with your degree, right? It's all about, you know, you go to a law firm or maybe you go to the government or nonprofit, but that's it. And I realized, okay, like I have to take a leap and I'm a planner. And that was super, super scary. Like I love to plan comes in handy for travel, but not having a plan was frightening to me. And I was like, I I have to do this because I need to be happy. You know, I was a new mom and, um, it, it was time. It was time to do something different. And that part of me knew that if it was a total disaster that I could find somewhere else to practice or maybe go back to my firm if they'd have me. But it's been nearly four years, uh, next month or tomorrow's July, and I've never looked back. I've never been happier. That's awesome. And I think, and I, can, I, think I can say this fairly because I am slightly older than both of you, but even if you're not a lawyer for those, those people, you know, the, our listeners are better family travelers. I think that many of us, and I've heard this from many people, we reach a certain stage, right? And those of us who are goal oriented and many, many, (laughs) there's a lot of similarity people, people who love travel, they set goals, they have these objectives and, and many, many of women, because that's who a lot of our listeners have been, but we have set our mind on the prize, right? And so you're focused, you're driven, whether it's, you know, the law or, um, you know, any type of 
of degree or goal, or this is what I thought my life would be. I, I was a teenager. I was in my 20s. I was in my 30s. And it, Kathleen and I were having a little bit of this conversation walking the beach the other day. When I get there, I will be happy. Like that's, I think that's some of goal setting, right? I will allow myself to be happy when, when I, you know, make equity partner, when I meet the right person, when I have the right family, when I fit in the right dress, like all of that stuff, the wet, I think we reach a point where we're like, wow, we got here really fast. Like that didn't take long to get here. And you're kind of looking off maybe in the, you know, in the horizon and saying, not, and it's not the happiness I thought I've reached the goal and I'm not feeling how I thought I would feel. Is that something kind of what you might've experienced? For sure. I mean, after I, I made partner, you know, the days, the weeks I was flying high, you know, I was only 34 years old. I was one of few awesome. female partners at the firm, um, in my practice group, which was the largest at the firm. So I was really flying high, but then as the dust settled and I settled into my new position, I kind of thought, huh? So this is it, huh? Like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing now, like for the next 30 years. Why am I feeling unhappy? Why am I feeling like this isn't for me? And that was only, you know, five years ago, I have to say four years ago, I'm sorry. And it's shocking to me how just in such a short amount of time, my life has changed. So for example, I have, I have a weekly newsletter and the topic that I wrote about this week that will be coming out tomorrow is about how 2016 Jen wouldn't believe 2021 Jen. Like if you would have said to me, you're not going to be practicing law at your firm anymore. I would have said, you're crazy. That can't be me. If you would have said, no, you, you're not, you're going to have a career in legal publishing and you're going to have your own business. I would have said me an entrepreneur, you've definitely got me confused with somebody else. Right? So it's just, you, you never know where life is going to lead you, especially when you decide you're going to kind of wake up and have one of those moments. Like maybe this isn't for me, right? I'm here, but I've got this nagging feeling and I've got to do something about it. I very much recognize what you're saying. I think COVID has sometimes exacerbated it, the the going back and forth. And I think that's one of the reasons why when you gave your presentation and your talk on authenticity, it really touched me. I mean, I really, would you mind sharing a little bit with our listeners on, on your thoughts on that topic? Because I, I think it's so much, you know, when I, when we started better family travel, the ta- you know, helping families put the joy back into their journeys, you know, it was one of the things that we're thinking about, but at the heart of it, and this is what I, I think I told you and I've told others, are, you know, we, yes, we're about travel, but we're not about any one destination because uh, different destinations, but there's mindsets that help all of us in our day-to-day and certainly in our travels. And I think for sure, being true to your authentic self is, is a real big part of that. Yeah. So let me start by just, I'll use the word unpack, right? Unpacking what it means to be authentic because it is such a huge buzzword. And I think the reason that this talk I have has resonated with different audiences, whether it's lawyers, non-lawyers, men or women, is that everyone wants to be more authentic, but we don't really stop to think about what that word means like, and put it to practice. So to me, being authentic means being honest, genuine, true, original, and therefore trustworthy, right? It's the opposite of being fake or counterfeit or, you know, putting on a mask, whether we're talking about literally or or figuratively in this almost post COVID world. And to me, that really becomes a mindset because it is for me, part of my moral compass. It is a value that is so intrinsic in me now that I, I have to be real. I've got to keep it real. I have to be honest. So, you know, to use the glamping example, when my husband said, I think we should go on a glamping trip. I was like, I don't think I can do that. I think that's going to be a nightmare for the whole family, right? So I I had to be honest. But then, you know, thinking about it, understanding more about what we were doing, I wanted to keep an open mind. And I'm so glad that I did. But to me, it's being honest, right? And part of being authentic is never really compromising that part of your of your moral compass. So I think authenticity for me is a mindset because it is just now a non-negotiable for me. And, and maybe that comes with age as well too, where you're like, this is it, take it or leave it. This is me. Yep. So I, I think you're, you're right. It, you get to a point where, you know, it is 
this is me, take it or leave it. And you're with yourself all the time. So at just some point you're like, it'd be like wearing high heels all the time. At some point I want to take them off and just be myself. Right. Like no matter how good it might look to the outside, I'm not comfortable. You just want to strip down to your underwear and run into the ocean. Exactly. Not now, but when I was three. (laughs) I don't think I've actually worn high heels since March, 2020. And the thought of putting them on is actually really, really hard to grasp right now for sure. (laughs) And just to piggyback on what I was saying before, I think a big part of being authentic is to know yourself, right? And that's why I had that reaction, excuse me, to the potential glamping trip. Because knowing yourself requires knowing your strengths and your weaknesses, right? Who you once because once you figure out who you are, it's really helpful to then know who you aren't and what isn't as important to you. So that's really the first step, I think, in unlocking your true self. Who who are you? You have to know thyself. So what did you what what caused hesitation for you? about the glamping trip. I'm curious. Why why did you envision that as such a disaster? I have never been camping. So I understood why my husband immediately suggested glamping because he knew that I could never really wrap my arms around, you know, sleeping on the ground outside in a tent. For me, it was just, I think the unfamiliarity of it. I have to work on getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And I spoke about that in social media when it came to the glamping trip. I was really, really hesitant to have to sleep in a tent. And it wasn't not having the electricity. It was more like the running water. Like I'm a mom. How am I going to do that on a glamping trip? Where am I going to go? Like little things like that were really tripping me up. And it, it was not really knowing if I could handle sleeping outside, if it was really cold or really really hot. And I didn't want to have a negative reaction that would color the experience for my son. And I was afraid that it was so far out of my comfort zone that I would have complained or made a comment that then he would have, you know, kind of taken in and reflected back. By way of example, when we went to California right before COVID, we went to both the San Diego Zoo and the Wild Animal Park. The Wild Animal Park has this huge hot air balloon. It's tethered to the ground, but you can, it comes down to the ground and goes back up. I don't know. To me, it looked like millions of feet in the air. I don't know how many feet in the air. I have a fear of height that I've developed in my old age. My son wanted nothing more than to go on this. Mommy, daddy, I want to go on this. I knew in that moment, it was a time that I couldn't say, mommy's afraid of heights because he doesn't know what that is, right? So if I say that, I don't want to parrot it back. So somehow I did it. I got on a hot air balloon. I couldn't look over the side. I had to sit down for part of it because I was really, really anxious about the height. But ever since then, I've become more cognizant of making sure when we do something different that I'm not voicing my discomfort so he picks up on it. So that was kind of a roundabout way of just saying, I didn't want to color his glamping experience because it was so new and different for me. It's such an interesting dynamic that I haven't really completely thought of before, but how you've presented it, you know, the idea of being your authentic self and true to yourself, but also for your child giving for them and, you know, being willing to put aside your fears of height. And and we, and we all do that, right? We, you know, the authenticity and parenting, but I don't know. I think we are our best selves. It's such an interesting dynamic on that. I don't know. what, What do you think about that? Like I hadn't actually thought of it that way because I'm not trying to suggest that I was, you know, faking it. Right. No, I, 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 I wasn't faking it. It was just, I had to button my lip in a way. Like I knew inside, I was like, I cannot believe I'm in this hot air balloon. Or we pulled up to the campsite and I was like, all right, like, don't say anything. Like, mm-hmm. and it was lovely. Like it was a really, really nice place. It was called Firelight um, Camps, actually, in Ithaca, New York. Highly recommend it to anybody who's interested. But I just have been very cognizant of not being negative in general around Mm -hmm. him, whether it's just about a glamping trip or just something, again, that's outside of my comfort zone. So you can be outside your comfort zone and still be authentic to what you want. It's it's not mutually exclusive. Is is. 
and that's kind of travel too, right? Outside isn't travel <laughs> outside our comfort zones for a lot of it, unless you know you're at the Ritz, in which case total comfort zone. But um... total comfort zone. <laughs> I think because I, I think for me, I've I've committed that I have to be open for new possibilities, right, and new mm-hmm. experiences. So if I'm going to be authentic and I'm really going to value that, then I then I have to be open and I have to be you know on my best behavior and I can't complain and I just need to be positive. And as I said before, and you know both of you said, it's really about watching the experience through his eyes. Like I I wasn't caring that I couldn't wash my hair for two days or that it was like so hot that like my mascara is like running down my face. I don't even know why I put it on. Right. Like it's not about that. It's just, I promised myself I'd be open to new experiences. I want to be honest with myself about that. And I want to see this through his eyes. Yeah. You're making me think about how, um, you know, in my 41 years of life, I've taken a few risks some small and some quite large. We've all taken a lot of risks from the careers that we've chosen to maybe changing careers. Um, you know, I'm teaching in front of large groups of people that might you've never done before, moving to a new house, having children, all those kinds of things, right? I've found that the more I have faced those types of challenges and risks and gotten through to the other side, the easier it becomes for me to take on new risks and challenges. I've become better at embracing that uncomfortable feeling only because I've done it over and over again. So I have empathy for my children who are just going through these experiences for the very first time. And I think we use a lot of vocabulary in my household about you you can only you can't control your situations. You can only control how you react to them. So I'm gonna tell you that what I know about you and what I know about my experience is that you're probably going to love this. You're going to love this movie. You're going to love this trip. You're going to love this hike. You're going to love your new teacher. Trust me, hold your breath. It's a little uncomfortable. Use your strategies. Use your breathing. Find your snuggly. Give me a hug. Write a note. Listen to music. Give yourself a squeeze. Blow out the birthday candles. Whatever your strategies are for handling your anxiety. Use those things while you're on your journey. And then we kind of debrief afterwards to talk about you know, remember how scared you were, you didn't like the idea of something you couldn't predict, something you couldn't control. But what did you think? We have a lot of conversations like that now. But I had to learn how to do that myself first before I could give that back to my kids. And I don't think I pictured myself as a parent guiding them this way. You know, I just kind of thought that they would just take on their own risks. But I think it does require you need to kind of pave that path first. And so I would, I would encourage, I'm sure you would agree with me, Jen, I would encourage people who are taking risks for the first time, you know, to be kind to themselves because it's hard. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes, right? Yes. And I agree with all of the above and everything you just said. I really applaud how amazing for your children that you are giving them this vocabulary and leading by example. I do think that you get more comfortable with being uncomfortable the more that you do it. And it can be something simple. Like I'm a creature of habit. So when I go to my favorite restaurant, I tend to order the same thing and I've got to, you know, talk myself up to, all right, like I'm going to, I'm going to change it up. Right. I'm going to order something different. That's a little bit uncomfortable for me, but you know what? Now I have a second favorite dish, right? And I, and I can, I can get comfortable being uncomfortable and it's little things. And when you start small and you kind of set those little goals for yourself, then, you know, as you said, all these seasons of your life changes and your roles change, you can tackle these big things that are outside your comfort zone because you've done it in little stages. And it is so important when you're raising little people to make sure that they understand that they can do it too. The way they feel is justified, but like you said, like, let's, let's get through it and give them the tools and then say, remember how you felt scared. And now you should feel you know, so proud that you did this and you really liked it, whether it's that different pizza dish or whatever it might be. Yeah, exactly. And we can do that for our colleagues too. You know, I think supporting each other in the workplace, supporting our peers, being cheerleaders for our, for our friends, you know, when they're embarking on something uncomfortable, it doesn't, I'm not suggesting that we won't be uncomfortable. I'm just suggesting that you'll be able to tackle it with more confidence and and be able to handle that risk in more confident ways, the more you do it and the more support you build around yourself as well. And I think knowing that 
you know, I'd, I'd love to take this mentality back to work um, as a team leader in my school. I work in a public school. I'd, I'd like to think about this as a theme maybe for the beginning of the school year, you know, to say, we're going to be uncomfortable. How are we going to help each other get through this? We did during COVID. We were super uncomfortable <laughs> in right. so many ways. We taught our students online. We taught our students with masks and gowns and and shields and gloves on from across a room with a plastic barrier between ourselves. Like that was uncomfortable. It was physically and emotionally uncomfortable. I didn't get to touch, hug, or high five my students for over a year. Horrible feelings, right? Very uncomfortable. But we, out of that uncomfortable situation was born a lot of creativity and and new ideas for teaching and innovation. And I think both on our small level, like in my building and on a more global level, I think education is revolutionizing because of some of the creativity that came out of what we had to do while we were all so uncomfortable. You know, what are some of the things you're proud of? I think your business for sure would be one, right? What are some things that you're proud of that came out of the big leap you took? I would say my business hands down, but also my improved ability to be present. I was never really present when I was practicing law. I mean, I consider myself a reformed multitasker. And I say that a little bit tongue in cheek because everyone multitasks, you know, we're all moms and I'm sure you have a lot of moms and parents listening. So you're doing a million things at once, right? Yes. <laughs> but I was the type of person who would boast about my ability, you know, to take a conference call, eat lunch, you know, answer emails and like, you know, talk to a paralegal at the same time. And looking back, just describing that just makes me shudder that I was doing any of those things without full 100% attention. The ability to take a change in my career and now have a calendar that's a little bit more under my control and it doesn't have, let's say, as many meetings or I'm not dealing with clients has had really forced me to consider how I had not been present. So I try to take that now and it is something I still work on when I'm with my family to be present. You know, when I'm at work, I'm at work and I do work remotely, but I am I am proud of that because it's something I hadn't realized that I really struggled with before I made the change, for sure. And Kathleen, I just want to follow up on something you said about taking back the whole uncomfortability idea to your team. Because as you were speaking, I was thinking it's really about accountability too, right? If you have an accountability partner and that's somebody you can check in with to say, hey, like I'm feeling really outside of my comfort zone right now. I don't know that I, I want to try this new idea for, for teaching or whatnot. What do you think? Um, should I do it? Somebody who can help you stay on track. I think is also so helpful. And that cheerleader person, whether it's at work or at, at home in your life, I think goes a long way. So I just wanted to, to mention that in response to your other comment. Would you encourage people to deliberately identify someone in their lives that can be that person? Or do you feel like it's who's present in different situations? What What's your thought about that? So I think... I'll give you the lawyer answer of it depends, right? <laughs> because I think, I think it depends on what you need your accountability for. Mm -hmm. My gut is telling me that it probably shouldn't be your spouse, right? Because that person is probably more inclined to cut you slack, right? And to get you off the hook. So somebody that you you trust to keep you in line, right? And there are plenty of people who say they like working out with a friend because they know they have to meet that person at the gym or for a run at 6 a.m. And because they have to meet that person, they will not skip their workout, right? So I think that's just somebody who you probably enjoy working out with or can keep you on track. So yeah, you should identify somebody. For work, you know, it might not be your your manager or somebody you report to for obvious reasons, but maybe it's a colleague. It doesn't have to be somebody you consider a friend, but somebody who you know can be honest with you and in return to them. I'm nodding and thinking. I I like to be positive. And I think it might be hard for me personally to be as critical as I might need to be. I don't know. I think maybe that I'm turning that back and maybe the authenticity has to come from within first before you can be a good cheerleader for somebody else. 
And, you know, maybe it's taking a step before even being a cheerleader for somebody else. It's just having to check in and report to somebody, you know, for example, as I mentioned, I have my newsletter that I write every week and I found myself spending way too much time on it because I'm a perfectionist. So I'd write it and then I think sometimes it takes me 25 minutes, sometimes it takes me an hour, but then I would keep picking at it every night before I would have to send it out. And I thought, this is, this is silly. Like it's done. I'm now moving commas around and I need to let it go. So I have somebody in my life that I now use as an accountability partner where I text her and say, I'm done with the newsletter. Like that's what I do like a certain night every week. And she says, okay, are you really done? And I'm really done. And that's it. So just knowing that I have this check-in to say, okay, I'm done, but I'm not going to tinker with it. And she doesn't, she doesn't look at the work product or anything like that to give me any sort of criticism or, or critique in any way. It's just for me to say it's done because I need it to be done. I have a, a best friend of mine in COVID when it first started same type of thing where we were saying, oh, now we're spending way too much money with online shopping, right? You just like getting packages delivered. What are you talking you about? Know, right? Look, am I the only one? <laughs> so we would check in with each other and that got a little bit more in depth. That was like, all right, I'm sending you this, you know, $75 headband. Like, do you think I should buy this? Like, no, you absolutely do not need to buy that, right? So that accountability was, was a little bit different. And of course, I don't want to hijack the conversation or anything on account ability. But I was just thinking about that when you were mentioning trying to use it at work in a team setting, um, how you can, how you could do that. And I think that's part of it. I think this makes a lot of sense. And I I really like what you just said, because I don't, you don't want to add a task to somebody else's already busy schedule. And what you just described isn't it's, it's an emotional check-in, Exactly. you know, supportive, and you're really not asking people to do work so much as just be your, your accountability partner, you know, but right. So honest. Yes, exactly. I have another question. It really struck me the way you described your vision as a high schooler for your career goal. Did you have an equally cemented vision of yourself as a parent when you would have children, what your parenting would look like? And then based on that, how did the reality of when you reached that stage of your life, how did that kind of come together for you? This is a great question. And the answer is no. I had no vision of what it would be like to be a parent, if I would be a parent, what it would look like. And I don't really have a good answer as to why. I do think part of it was that I was so focused on my career for so long that I, it was laser focused. You know, that's what I wanted. Like I said, I, I was so lucky, fortunate, and excited to make partner at my firm, you know, at 34 years old. Um, it was incredible. So that's what I was thinking of. It wasn't like I knew that I wanted to make partner at one age and have, you know, I, a baby at 30 or or any of those things. It was just like, that's what I was thinking of. And that was it. I also don't know if that was part of a function of, you know, when you go to law school, you don't finish school until you're in your mid twenties, right? I got married a couple of years later. So maybe you're starting things a little bit later than if you'd just been working for a while and we're like, all right, like I'm good. I'm where I'm at or I'm ready to have a baby. So I didn't have any sort of vision of myself. And I think when I was pregnant, I was constantly, I know when I was pregnant, I was constantly worried about what is this going to be like? You know, my life is so hectic right now. How am I going to be available to take care of a child? Is this child going to be, you know, in daycare with a nanny, you know, like 50 plus hours a week. As I mentioned, my husband's also a lawyer. So just the unpredictability and he's a trial attorney of our careers was tough. So I really started thinking of it then, like, because it was real and I had to think about it. Did that have anything to do with your feeling like you needed a career change or did that really come from a different place? There's definite overlap for sure. Like I said, I left practice when my son was seven months old, but I had been feeling unhappy. I'd been a partner for two and a half years at that time. And I felt unhappy for a while and just kept stuffing that feeling down and down, you know, thinking it would go away, you know, like, like Amy was saying, if this happens, then I'll be happy, right? Like if I just get through this case, if I just get through this assignment, it's going to be better. It's going to go away. So 
it definitely was a realization for me that I needed to take control over my own happiness if I was going to be responsible for my son's happiness. And I, I say that knowing that I'm, you know, he, he's older now, but when you have an infant, you feel responsible over everything they feel, everything they eat, their sleep and all that. I'm like, I, I have to, I have to set a positive example. And when I come home from work, I don't like the person that I am because I feel drained and dejected and I'm logging back on at night. I'm not happy. And I don't, I don't want to be that person. So it definitely lit a fire for me to, to make the change. And then as those things go, I, had an opportunity come to come to me, you know, when he was about six months old. So the stars kind of aligned, I think. Do you think if you had not had your mindset of starting to be ready for change and that opportunity had come across your desk, would you have taken it? I could tell you for certain, looking back, if that opportunity came across my desk several years before it did, I wouldn't even have considered it mm-hmm. because I wasn't in the right mindset for it. Because other opportunities have come my way. And I was like, no, this is, this is what I'm doing. Like I'm a, I want to make partner or I am a partner. Even when I knew I was unhappy, it was very hard for me to put my arms around. Like then maybe you should leave. I would read that book. Um, who moved my cheese? Are you familiar? And yes. like, I'm like in that mouse, like going to find the cheese in the same place every day. And I'm not understanding, like I need to change the place that I go. So it was very hard for me to actually um, come to grips with making the change and accepting it was okay. And I, I would not have made a change years earlier. No way. So I think people too, who are beginning to recognize that disquiet, you know, but but there's no option, right? That's not, I think having some faith that when your mind and your heart is ready and when you've been kind to yourself and you've reached the point when you're ready to acknowledge acknowledge some authenticity, you're going to see the opportunities that are already there. It's well, not, yes. they're not, you know. Well said. Yeah, and I think, you know, if, if the trends that are going on right now, you know, we're recording this at June 30th, you know, 2021, but you know, in the news right now, you see that on a massive level where people are moving jobs, you know, especially, you know, and many of it is white collar workers, but, but people who are just unsatisfied and think that they there's better out there. And if not now, when, and I think a lot of those themes that many of us have gone through on an individual level and reached at certain points, you know, I'm not happy what's going on. I think perhaps COVID, you know, and just was a rush for all of us and said, wait a minute, this is not who I want to be. And uh, let me find out where I want to go. And sometimes it is, I just need to be somewhere different. I just need somewhere, whether it's travel or whether it's, you know, career, Sometimes we just need a fresh, something fresh to see, something new to do, and just explore a little bit different of ourselves and the world around us. That's my two cents on that. I agree with that. And for me, I, I was so worried about what other people would think, right? Were they, was I quitting, right? Like, was I just giving up? But I knew that it wasn't about, you know, going to a different law firm. I love the people. And I use that present tense intentionally that I worked with at the firm. It was the practice that was really, really tough. So it was really coming to grips with, as I said, and accepting it is okay not to want this anymore. Just because I have been trained to do this and can do it well, doesn't mean that I have to want it. And it's not until you kind of make that connection and are okay with it, that you can make that change. And for better or worse, I think COVID has forced that issue to a head for many people. Absolutely. Well, Jennifer, I thank you so much for coming on and I want to be respectful of your time, but before we let you go, I do want to hear a little bit, just a little bit more about glamping because I am glamping curious and I, I, my understanding is there's just a bunch of different ways, you know, some have electricity, some have bathrooms, many don't. Mm -hmm. It does really look like the magazine pictures I'm seeing. What's the reality of glamping? What's what's, so, (laughs) so, for me, as I said, we went to, I think it was called Firelight Camps in Ithaca. And it's basically this collection of 
I think your, like I said, would be the right word to describe the tents. Some of them, I believe, do have electricity. Ours did not. And they're kind of scattered about in this wooded area. But then there's this common area that is basically a very large tent where you have your check-in, like a lobby type area. And there's a bar set up and then there's a fire pit. And in the morning they would bring in, um, you know, like a light breakfast buffet separately, kind of not far at all. I don't know, like 250 feet from the lobby area is your communal toilets and showers. And some of them were, some of the showers were just like, you know, private stalls. Like you would open the door and it would be like a place to change in a shower and no one would be in there, but you. There was also like one or two bathrooms that had, you know, a a toilet, the sink and the shower that you can go in. And then there was like just a a big room that was all toilets and it was co-ed, but it was very private. The dividers between all the stalls ran from the ceiling to the floor. There's a big it was, it's a, basically a public bathroom, but it was it was very nice. And the, the yurt itself was very well appointed. Like I said, you zipped yourself in, you zipped yourself out, but it had hardwood floors. It had, we had a king bed in ours. There was a dresser, oh there was a dresser and it had nice linens. And then at the back of the tent, you would unzip it again. And there was just this beautiful little like seating area, like a, like a small porch with two Adirondack chairs. And it looked out just among the forest in front of you. So it was really, really nice. And we drove maybe five minutes, I want to say to, of course, I'm blanking on the name of the the trail, the famous trail that we hiked along this waterfall that was just beautiful. And that's why we went because something I've learned to embrace during COVID is being outdoors more and and hiking. And I use that term, of course, with the caveat that I'm hiking with a, a four and a half year old. I'm not like hiking Mount Everest or anything, right? But we we get out there and we explore. So that was what really sold me on the trip because I do love to do that. I don't, and this would have been a better way to, to answer the question about my hesitation with glamping. I love being outdoors, but I'm not outdoorsy, if that mm-hmm. makes sense, right? Yeah. So that's really what, what sold me. And of course, giving my son the experience. Would you go back? I would go back. I would go back in the fall, I would say, because we went in, let's see, I had a lot of travel. I went, I went glamping the first week in June and then we went down to Florida the week after that. So in early June, when I was glamping, we were anticipating the weather to be in the low seventies. It got so hot the second day, it was like 95 degrees and humid that we actually ended up leaving and not sleeping there the second night. We stayed all day and we left at like seven o'clock at night and just, this was three hour drive, just put my son in the car and he fell asleep and transferred coming home. But it would have been 86 degrees overnight. And there's just no way for me to sleep outdoors in that heat like that. None of us would have slept. So um, I would go back, but I would go back maybe in October when hopefully even if it is um, unseasonably warm, it's not that warm. And I'd rather Mm -hmm. be cold than hot. So, so do you think glamping, I mean, you did it as a family, it's a family friendly activity or is it, it is not just a couple, you know, for couples or we, we met people at the campsite in all different stages. So we met a woman, maybe she was, I don't know, I think it was her birthday. She might've been in her forties and she lived locally, but she had some of her girlfriends come out from different parts of the country and they decided to get, you know, a a yurt again, I don't know what to call it and just kind of stay overnight together. There were couples, there were young couples, couples who told us they were, you know, admiring us for taking our son because their kids were home. There were other families. It's really all walks of life. And I will say that is one thing I definitely noticed more of when I started traveling with a child, wherever the location may be. I mentioned my husband's from New Orleans. I never really considered New Orleans to be so family friendly until I started going with my son. You know, you kind of see things differently when your perspective changes. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. You you do. I absolutely agree with you. I, and I saw that, that New Orleans was very family friendly. And I was like, the 100%. one that's on TV for Mardi Gras? 
thoughts or yeah, yeah no it's, it is interesting the different perspectives that you say I could talk to you all day I love what you're thinking about and the mindset that you're bringing and the opportunities but like I said I do want to be respectful but could you just I'm sure that our better family travelers also there are people wanting to learn more about you can you we talked about it a little bit but can you let people know how they can find out more about you and Thank you so much for asking. So my website is jmtspeaks.com. My name again, Jennifer Marino Thibodeau. So it's my initials and I maintain a blog there. You can also sign up to stay connected with me there where I make announcements about speaking events or you get my weekly newsletter. You can follow me on social. I'm active on LinkedIn and my Instagram handle is at jmtspeaks as well. I am not on Facebook, but I do nurture my other two social media media accounts. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to getting your newsletter tomorrow. I've been reading it since um, I first discovered you. And I say that in quotes because you just, you, you came into this room on the other computer over there and that's where I met you. But, Come full um, circle. <laughs> but uh, yes. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it and wish you all the best with your business and your family. Thank you so much, Amy and Kathleen. It's been such a joy. I feel like I can speak with you both forever. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. That was great. I really enjoyed I hearing really... about her experiences and her ideas. And she's a very interesting lady. <laughs> I am brave. Too. I really love the fact that she's like, I'm going to try something new. And it's funny. I think for what you and I have been talking about, like my own self, like, you know, it seems like I have been inviting a lot of entrepreneurs on lately, people starting new businesses mm -hmm. and we've, we've wrestled back and forth on what that means. But I, at the heart of it, everybody loves, or the people, our guests love travel. And what I think what is drawing me to a lot of the guests that I'm inviting on lately is that mindset for adventures, both personally in their own journey in life, but also the adventures they take themselves and their families on. And I love all, every single one of the guests have brought it together in the, this is what I'm doing usually professionally. And this is personally, and here's how the two, the mindset, and there, there's so, so many overlapping pieces of the mindset that lets you set off on an adventure, a personal adventure, for yourself and to take your family in the traditional idea of what travel is. And so I know you and I have had these conversations offline, but I think at the heart, they're so connected. So if our better family travelers will indulge me, I think that from the, the people when, you know, that's, that's a lot of what I love to listen to, but there's the strategy piece too. And I was thinking that's a lot of some of the people that you've been inviting on too is the strategy, right? So it's such a nice combination. You know, we've had the strategy on how do you run marathons and travel and how do you start to make travel a business and incorporate that in? So I think, I don't know, I, I really loved how Jennifer kind of wrapped that all up together on just being true to your authentic self. So that is yeah. my authentic she self. Has, she has some very interesting philosophies that are worth taking piece by piece for sure. Um, and I agree with you, Amy, that, you know, individuals who nurture their family journeys or personal journeys or professional journeys and their recreational journeys, right? Yeah. Our vacations, like, these are all real things that we go through that are hard. They can be expensive. They can be scary. They can be successful. They can be failures. I mean, all of these types of journeys can be, but I think I particularly admire the guests that we've had because all of them have worked very, very hard at taking on something brave, um, doing something unusual, doing something that they're passionate about, but they are still taking time for fun, still taking time for travel, still taking time to give themselves the permission to have fun. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, that that's hard for some people. Um, it's certainly it's hard for me to get to, I, it's been hard for me traditionally to give myself permission to have fun. I think I'm a lot better at it than I used to be. And certainly uh, I enjoy talking to people who are good at it. Well, I find you fun. So if <laughs> you feel any better, but, but there's fun in the conversation too. And just, even if 
I may, you know, maybe I'll go glamping. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll start my own business. Maybe I won't. But I love hearing what other people have done and just reminding ourselves what's possible, right? Isn't that, you know, you talk, um, you know, your oldest Julian, who is heading toward the end of middle school on the verge of high school and then college. And we, and we have these conversations about, you know, with kids all the time, you know, what do you want to be? And, you know, mm -hmm. the old joke, we're asking them because we're looking for ideas, right? <laughs> but <laughs> do you have any ideas? Because I don't have any ideas. I'm out of ideas. But it, it is that one, what Jennifer said, absolutely, your authentic self. I think it's just a search for who we are. That is life's journey, right? Who are we really? We're uncovering it, like peeling back the layer of the onions, finding new parts of ourselves, getting new ideas, new thoughts. And even if nothing, you know, even if I never run a marathon in a distant location, just experiencing and hearing about it and hearing about, you know, learning that, Later, you know, at the second part of your life, these are things you could start. It's you not can over. take on. You exactly. can take on new challenges at your any marathon, part in your life. Right? Your marathon might be something else, but right. you can take on something big, and you can find new passions. You're right. not. You're not stuck where you are physically necessarily, or certainly not mentally. You know. And again, not to be all COVID all the time, but it is such a lesson, right? Because for a while there, we were pretty stuck physically and it was hard not to be stuck for many of us mentally. And I think that's maybe one of the cravings for moving for jobs and just moving, just movement. I need movement. I need, I need change, like the craving for change. And I think that will ebb over time, but the, when it settles back down, when this, this bubble you know, not a housing bubble, but a bubble for change kind of pops and we all settle down. I think we'll be at a different place where maybe we we can be open to new opportunities and try new things and just hear about what other people are, are you know, just a good conversation about what other people are going through. I, I do, you know, going back to it, I've been reading um, Jen's newsletter for since um, she first spoke at the con the virtual conference I attended. And she really is thinking some interesting things and thought provoking things and inspiring things. It's an, you know, it's a quick read. You know, she went through her process. She puts a lot of time and thought to it and it clearly comes through. And for people who, you know, are looking for just a little inspiration and something thought provoking in their mailbox on Thursday morning and their email. I highly encourage them to sign up for her newsletter. And on that note, Better Family Travel is made possible by the amazing folks from CMG Podcast Network. Check out their list of unique podcasts and production services that keeps growing every month over at clovercrestmedia.com. Thank you for leaving us feedback, listeners, wherever you're downloading our podcast. And join our community on Facebook to stay current on our topics and resources. Submit questions you have and ideas for topics at askbft at betterfamilytravel.com.